Welcome back to the Word Encounter, episode 201. We concluded in uh, the book of Luke, chapter 10 yesterday, so let's pick it up in chapter 11. It says the Lord's Prayer, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. And so this is a, this is a famous, uh, or, you know, a famous prayer uh, that most people, I think most people know anyway. But the critical thing about this prayer is Jesus says, pray like this. And so sometimes I think we can take things for granted, right, because they're so familiar to us. But Jesus says, pray like this. And so he's given us the pattern of prayer, if you will. And so as we go through the Lord's Prayer with the pattern, it says, um, first of all, we're going to honor the Father's name. See, it says, Father, your name is holy. And so that's the first thing we want to do. And and, and then uh, it says, your kingdom come. In other words, I welcome you into my world. I welcome your instruction. I welcome your direction. You see, I welcome everything about you into my life. We are humbling ourselves. We are seating ourselves over to God. Your kingdom come, Lord, not my kingdom, your kingdom come. And then we, <clears throat> we ask for, what do we ask for? We ask for our daily por- portion, right? And this isn't necessarily talking about food. See, we need our daily portion of, of, of spiritual food, of um, divine guidance, divine wisdom. You know, we need our portion for that day. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow's in the future. We need our portion today. So give us each day our daily bread. Give me my portion to get through this day, Lord. And then, and then we acknowledge that, uh, that, we, are not, that we are not perfect. You know, we acknowledge that uh, we have some uh, unrighteous actions. We acknowledge that sometimes we give in to evil and wickedness. See, because we're asking for the forgiveness of our sins. If we don't sin, then we don't need any forgiveness. And so we're acknowledging to the Lord that we're not perfect. So, Lord, please forgive me my sins. And also give me the graciousness and the the foresight and the compassion to forgive others. See, because your word says that whatever measure I give to others will be granted unto me. So give me a, a big and a full heart with regard to my compassion towards others and allowing myself uh, to forgive them uh, when they fall short of the, of the glory of God. And it says, uh, Lord, do not, temptation is going to come. We acknowledge that temptation comes, but don't let me fall into it. <laughs> don't let me give into it, Father God. You know, don't, don't, don't allow me to hand myself over to it. <clears throat> and so this is the pattern of the Lord's Prayer. It says, uh, ask, search, knock. In verse 5, he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend or has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine is on a journey, has come to me, and I don't have anything to offer him. So you have a friend come to you, but you don't have anything to offer you, so you go to one of your friends who has something to offer in order to get something from your friend so that you can give to this other friend. And then it says, uh, then he will answer, 
from the inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And so you go to your friend that has some stuff to give, but it's at midnight. It's just like, look, man, it's too late, man. We're, we're locked in. We're tired. Come back tomorrow. Do something else. Verse 8, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, and so the guy who's already in bed, he won't get, get up because the friend is at his door. However, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Because of the persistence of the other friend, I can see him knocking on the door. Yo, let me in, man. I need something from him. Yo, go away. We're asleep. We're tired. He knocks again. Let me in. Let me in. We're tired. Go away. Let me in. So finally, he gets exasperated. He gets up and gives him whatever he wanted because he was persistent. And then it says in verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And so the Lord is saying essentially here, don't give up easily. <laughs> See, don't get because this could be a test and a trial. Don't give up easily. Demonstrate your per- persistence. Demonstrate your endurance. You know, keep knocking at that door. Keep seeking. See, keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. Don't do it once and quit and stop if it, nothing happens. You know, if it's a righteous um, thing that you're asking for, if it's a righteous endeavor, then keep on it. Stay on it. Stay on it. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Then it says in verse 13. If you, uh, if you then who are evil, and another translation says, if you then who are imperfect, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father who is perfect give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Notice how Jesus says he's very specific about what the father will give to you. He doesn't say he'll give you anything you want. He says, if you ask and seek, then your father's going to give you the best thing. Your heavenly father's going to give you the best thing. The best thing being the Holy Spirit. See, you could be asking for um, uh, health uh, uh, related resolutions. You could be asking for finances. You could be asking for relationship fixes. You could be asking for a lot of things, right? But Jesus is saying, how much more, if you seek, will Heavenly, Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You can't get anything more valuable than the Holy Spirit, essentially, is what Jesus is saying. A house divided. We went over this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through, uh, through 32, in episode 133. A uh, key verse here is 17. It says, knowing their thoughts, he told them every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. This is when Jesus was being accused of being, you know, Satan's minion, if you will, and uh, that he was driving out these demons via Satan. And Jesus is saying, well, how can Satan drive out Satan? And then he goes on to explain that his kingdom can't stand if it's divided against his, uh, if, if it's divided against itself. In fact, no kingdom can stand if it's divided against itself. <clears throat> so unclean spirits return. 
verse 24. We went over this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. In episode 183, key verses, verse 25, it says, Returning, he finds the house swept and put in order. Now, what does this mean? This, is, this was the parable of when somebody, uh, uh, their demon evacuates them and their house is now clean and put in order because the demon has gone. But this person has not replaced that demon with anything else. They just go on willy-nilly about their lives. The demon goes out and gets seven other demons and says, come on, let's go. Let's go back to where I came from because back to where I came from, you know, is a, is a cool place to be. And it says that this person's life is now worse than it was before when that one demon resided in them. In other words, when you evacuate that demon, that has to be backfilled. That has to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That has to be filled with something that can repel future demons that might come and try to infiltrate you. And so it's one thing. Uh, to be cleaned, if you will, to be cleaned out. It's another thing to be cleaned out and then have that, uh, that space now occupied by something else. That something else being the Holy Spirit. True blessedness. <clears throat> and Jesus says, as he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, uh, blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. So they're saying, blessed is Mary, you know, because she was your mother. And Jesus says, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. See, So again, he's correcting a thought process. He's correcting perspective. To blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The sign of Jonah in verse 29 went over this in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42 in episode 183 of the Word Encounter. Key verses are 29 and 30. It says, as the crowds were increasing, he began saying, uh, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Noah, excuse me, of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be assigned to this generation. If you remember, Jonah went into the belly of the well for three nights and three days. He came out and then started preaching to the Ninevites with regard to uh, the things of the Lord. And recall, Jonah did not want to do this because he despised the Ninevites. But anyway, the sign of Jonah is that he was in the belly of the well for three nights and three days and then came out. And Jesus would, in fact, go down to the depths for three nights and three days and then rise again. And so that's the sign that he's referring to. And then we go on the lamp of the body, verse 33. It says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand so that those who come in may see its light. It says, your eye, and this is verse 34, it says, your eye uh, is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. In this parable, your eye is analogous to spiritual understanding and insight. See, so it says in verse 34, your spiritual understanding and insight is the lamp of your body. When your spiritual understanding and insight is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. See, your whole body is also radiant. It radiates the light of the Lord and people see it. But when it is bad, when your spiritual understanding and insight is bad, your body is also full of darkness. 
Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. Take care that the light that the Lord has imparted into you does not grow dark, that it stays radiant, it stays lit. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp, lamp shines its light on you. And so you will, your, your lamp, your light will illuminate other people when they get in your presence if you are full of the light of the Lord. See, a lot of times we're not full of the light of the Lord, and so our light is dim. It's very dim. Maybe it has a little shine, you know, <laughs> a, little, a little bit, maybe, but it's not blindingly light. It's not something that people cannot ignore when they get in its presence. Religious hypocrisy denounced. In verse 37, we covered this in Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 36, episode 188. Let's drop down to verse 39 and 40. And it says, But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean, uh, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and evil. Fools. Didn't he who made the outside also make the inside? See, and so they were questioning Jesus with regard to him not doing his ceremonial washing of hands before the meal. And Jesus is saying, you fools, you clean the outside of the cup and dish. But inside of you is evil, wickedness, greed, you know, every kind of debauchery. Says, didn't he who make the outside also make the inside? So how come you aren't allowing your inside to be cleansed the way you cleanse your outside? Uh, let's go on here. Uh, let's go to chapter 12. It says, beware of religious hypocrisy. He began to say to his disciples first, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered. Well, before I go on, be, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The yeast of the Pharisees, the thing uh, that, that rises uh, as a result of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Probably the number one issue with the church of today uh, in view or in light from other people is hypocrisy. They have some understanding of what we preach, although not a complete understanding. But they do have a very good idea of what, in fact, is righteous and not righteous. And they hear the words, but they witness the behavior. And they don't line up. And a lot of people use that as an excuse for not coming into the church. See, but now <laughs> they're not being righteous either because they're just looking for an excuse not to be accountable to the Lord. And so they point to his so-called followers they point to their hypocrisy as the reason that they don't come in. They, but in doing so, they don't understand that this whole issue is between them and the Lord. And that if they don't come into the presence of the Lord because of what they witness, they're letting other people govern their destiny. See, And when I, when I really figured this out, because I stayed away from the church for a while because hypocrisy was the number one thing that kept me out that I saw in other people. But then it hit me. If I don't come into the presence of the Lord because of what I'm witnessing in other people, then I'm allowing them and their behavior to control and govern my destiny. See, I'm giving them power over my destiny. 
And then when I started getting into the word, I realized the word is not hypocritical. They were hypocritical. They weren't exampling what was in this word. That's between them and the Lord. But I can't let them and what they do prevent me from entering into my God-given destiny. And so when people use hypocrisy as a reason to stay out of the church, they're giving other people the power over them to, to, to make decisions that have uh, eternal ramifications. See, you can't do that. You can't allow people to have that kind of control over you. Anyway, it says, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Then it says, there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Anything that happens in the dark, it's going to come to the light one way or the other. Either in this life or when you stand before the Lord, it's going to come to light. But it will come to light. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. See, we, we don't do or say anything in private. This stuff will be uncovered either by man or by God, but it will be uncovered. Fear God. Uh, we covered this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, episode 182. Key verse I've got is four. It says, I'd say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body or who have the power to kill the body. And after that can do nothing more. And so we see here, and this is where we have a big disconnect between us as people and, and God. We tend to view everything that happens in this life that we know of as all that there is. And so anything that compromises this life that we live is deemed an enemy. You know, we're in this pandemic right now. And with this pandemic, everything about the way it's structured is to protect human life as we know it. See, But God's perspective is different. He just looks at this human life that we have as a very small piece, very tiny piece on the spectrum of eternal life. So he says, I say to you, my friends, don't feel those who can kill the body and afterwards can do nothing. And so Jesus is, is essentially saying, look, the most they can do is kill your body. No, no, don't feel, fear that person. Fear the person that has the power <laughs> to place you in, in, in eternal damnation. You fear that person because that's way more critical. And see, we don't have this. We don't have a good understanding or perspective of eternal life. And so everything that we make decisions on is based on physical life. Acknowledging Christ in verse 8. We covered this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 39, episode 182. I've got key verses as 8 and 9. It says, And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. And so Jesus is questioning our commitment and our priorities. See, he's saying that if you stand before your cronies on earth and you don't deny me, then I won't deny you before the angels of God. But if you succumb to the pressure and if you allow yourself to not be aligned with me in the presence of your friends, family, co-workers, cronies, whatever, society, culture, then I'm going to deny you before the angels of God. 
This is a two-way street. See, you want me to acknowledge you, then you acknowledge me. The parable of the rich fool. Verse 15. Then he told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Wow. One's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He brought to himself uh, what should be, he bought, he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Verse 19. Then I'll say to myself, I have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. So this is the man who stored up all the stuff for himself. He says, look, I've got stuff for many years, for the rest of my life. I don't need to do anything else. He says, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to eat, drink, enjoy myself, uh, allow myself any pleasurable activity. I got it made. In verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. You don't get much more direct than that. You fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You fool. Because of this perspective of yours, you're coming home tonight, baby. Your life is over. And all these things that you've worked for and stored up, now whose will they be? Will they go to an enemy of yours? What do I mean, who knows? In other words, all you have done will, be for, will, will have been for naught <laughs> because of this perspective that you had. That's how it will be with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This isn't just talking about money. money. You know, this, is, this could be talking about energy and effort. See, it, it, talents, abilities, skills. All these things, you didn't give God any of this stuff. You know, you stored it up for yourself, but you didn't make any of this stuff available to the Lord to use for his purposes. So come on home. The cure for anxiety, verse 22. We covered this in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, episode 180 of the Word Encounter, key verses 25, 29 uh, through 31. Uh, let's see. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? That's a great question. And I am a chronic worrier. And so this is one of the things that I have to daily uh, burden my cross with, if you will, trying to give up this, this, this worrying thing that I just can't seem to get rid of at times. And so it says, can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? Verse 29, don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink and don't be anxious for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things and your father knows that you need them. So God knows what we need in order to sustain our physical life. He knows. He knows we need to eat. He knows we need to drink. He knows we need to be clothed. He knows we need to be housed. He knows all the things that we need. It says, and the Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be provided to you. But if you earnestly seek his kingdom, 
And if you earnestly seek to do uh, his will, it says these things will be provided for you. It doesn't mean that you don't work and he's just going to hand over stuff. But since if you're honestly seeking the kingdom, then you are going to honestly do what it is that he would have you to do. And in those doings, in that working, you will be provided for. So your efforts will essentially be watched over. Ready for the master's return. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can open the door at once for him. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. See, I truly tell you, he will get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. In verse 38, he says, if he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. In other words, if, for those of us that call ourselves Christ-like ones, you know, we stay ready. We stay on top of our righteousness. We stay on top of our obedience to the Lord, to our obedience that we're, what we hear him telling us to do. We stay devoted to Jesus all the time, not just on Sundays, Mondays, Tuesday, morning and night, evening, while we're asleep, whatever. You know, all the time, it's a lifestyle. We stay devoted to our Lord. We stay devoted to God, the things of God. If we do that, then we'll always be ready because we'll always be alert. And it says, blessed are those servants. In verse 40, it says, you also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So he could come at any time. The question is, when he comes, how is he going to find us? See, is he going to find us in a righteous stance? Is he going to find us, you know, ready to do his will? Or is he going to find us doing things that we're trying to do in the dark, doing things in secret? If he, is he going to find us, you know, um, being wicked and evil, thinking that we can repent and correct it tomorrow? How is he going to find us? Rewards and punishment. Lord, Peter asked, are you telling us this parable uh, just to us or to everyone, just to us disciples or everyone? The Lord said, who then is faithful and sensible? Who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge of his household servants to give them allotted food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant who the master finds doing his job when he comes. You know, blessed is the servant who is watching over the people under his charge when the master comes. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female servants, if he starts to abuse people, take advantage of people that are under his charge and eat and drink and get drunk, the servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. Sounds like to me that he, he'll kick him out of the kingdom. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But, the one who did not know and did not, excuse me, the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment, in other words, somebody who didn't know, but they were doing things that deserved punishment, but they didn't know, 
says that person will receive a light beating. <laughs> He'll still get beating, but it'll be a light beating. Whereas the one who knew and didn't do it will get a severe beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. And then in verse 49, Jesus says, I came, uh, I came to bring fire on the earth. Uh, I came to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already set ablaze. He came to bring a fire of passion in people. And he wished that it was already set ablaze, but it isn't. But I have a baptism to undergo and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, I came to bring division. And as we interpret the times, the things that he had against the people is that they could look up, they could interpret when it was going to rain or if it was going to be hot or cold or whatever. And he says, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how, how to interpret the present times? You see, and so Jesus is... is is he's always given us the opportunity, but he's challenging us with his word, challenging us with his word. And with that, we are done for the day, and we'll pick it up tomorrow in chapter uh, 13 of Luke. Everybody, stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Bye-bye.